Welcome everyone to the How to Get the Most Out of College podcast. There's a lot of talk about where to go to college, but not nearly enough about how to go to college. And it's the everyday decisions that drive your success. I'm your host, Elliot Felix. I've been a consultant to more than 100 colleges and universities, helping them improve their student experience. And I'm the author of How to Get the Most Out of College, where I take what I've learned about how college works and make it work for you. Networking in college is such an important activity. And there's so many different kinds of networking. It's important because you're finding your people, creating that sense of community, that belonging, but you're also finding your career path. You know, you're talking to people who maybe they have jobs in roles you want to play in the future or in companies you'd like to work for. And so I'm so excited today to talk to Philip about networking and especially for folks who maybe it doesn't come naturally to folks that are maybe more anxious or introverted. And I'm really excited to, to dig in. Welcome, Philip. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for this conversation today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started? Yeah, so my name is Philip Wilkerson. I am a higher ed professional. I have over 10 years of experience working in colleges. My career started when I was in grad school. I went back to grad school to get a master's in counseling. Very fortunate for me that one of the requirements of the master's program at George Mason University, where I got my master's, was that you had to do an internship. And I was kind of that law student. I was that student that probably couldn't use career services as an undergrad at JMU. But luckily for me, a gentleman by the name of Ken Garant came to our class. I was in a career counseling class during my master's program. We talked about the intersection of your career identity and, and well-being. And so like, you know, while other students were studying things like substance abuse, I was like, wow, that's it. I want to talk about career development. That, that was what I, I nerded out on the most. And he said, luckily for me, he said, and in addition, we have a pre-existing partnership with this master's program to do your internship. So I am an extrovert. I didn't realize that what I was always doing all along was technically networking. So after that class that he came to visit, I emailed him and said, I would love to do an informational interview to follow up. And I would love to do a site visit to the office on campus. And he was like, Philip, okay, leave me alone. You got the job. You got the internship. He I liked my that. assertiveness. And so I did my last year of my graduate school program was at the actual career center that I work at now. And I loved it. And that was back in 2011, 2012. And from then that just started my trajectory, my career in higher ed, working at different institutions throughout the Northern Virginia area, the DC area. But I came back to Mason in 2017, where I currently work as an employer engagement consultant in the career center. In addition to that, I'm also the faculty advisor for a few student organizations here at Mason. One is the GMU chapter of the NAACP. Another is the IOTA Alpha chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, the first historically black collegiate fraternity. And lastly, the National Society of Leaders and Success. So I'm the faculty advisor for those three student orgs, and that gives me an opportunity to still have a touch point on students while my role is mainly in employer relations. I love all the different hats you're wearing and how they all connect to career planning, career exploration, career development. I also love the connection. I believe I interviewed one of your Alpha Phi Alpha brothers, Cedric Howard, on mentoring for an earlier episode, so folks can check that out. Yeah, I mean, the world of Alpha is so small. I joke, but every time we have like a career fair or some form of professional engagement, my coworkers joke with me 
I said, you know, when is Philip going to drop that he's an alpha? And I'm like, in the first two seconds, you know, we get a lot of pride with that. But also generally the networking is so small. Like we joke that like every time we do a career fair and I see a, like a black male recruiter, I say, okay, I bet you money that we intersect in some way. And people joke, but usually they're not only just a member of alpha, but they're a member of another divine nine organization. You know, being involved in external organizations is a great way. Those bonds are beyond the wall of George Mason, being in the alphas or being in the NAACP or being a part of organizations. So that network is really, really strong. And after your podcast, you know, talking about following up and networking, I actually did reach out to Brother Cedric and say, hey, I'll listen oh, to there you. Go. I loved it. So we built a connection off of your show because of that, that shared bond we have. And so thank you for that. Well, thank you. I mean, in a way, that's the story about networking and the power of joining organizations with, you know, shared purpose and shared promise as a way to build those connections. I, I would love to hear a couple of other stories from your experience, you know, students you've worked with or helped that have really leaned into networking to build these connections, you know, in their university, in their program, but also with, you know, mentors, role models, employers. Can you share some success stories for us? Yeah, 100%. I always talk to students and say, you know, the main thing about your college experience, having a holistic experience, is that you need to get outside of your dorm and build relationships. Relationships are key. I always joke like return of investment. You can just as easily go to a remote school, right? Like pay all this money, get a diploma, go to a remote school, and you'll get your degree. So what is the value add of actually going to a brick and mortar school? And I say the actual main draw to going to a real brick and mortar school going in person is the relationships that you get to build right and so you know early on i teach students that you already have an embedded network when i do like a networking session we talk about the five f's of networking people are like oh i don't have a network i'm like you literally just walking in the world you already have an extension of who you are you have a network and so with the five f's you know friends family formalized or uh, foundational organizations fellow classmates and faculty members. I usually say to a student, you know, write out what you want to do in life. I can guarantee, like, if you want to be a doctor, go down the five F's and I bet you can find at least one person in those extensions that will talk to you or, you know, do an informational interview with you. And I tell people that all the time that networking is not about who you know, but the opposite. It's who knows you. Your reputation precedes you. The things that you're aligned with, they speak volumes. You know, if I meet a brother of Alpha, I already assume that we have, as you said, matching ideals. Now, to take that to the next level, you know, I've mentored countless students. I'll, I'll just say any student that has been a student leader of any organization that I've had the opportunity to faculty advise has just been rock stars. So I'll give you a good point. I get an email from two young ladies, Dominique and Shelby. They're all formal. They said, Mr. Wilkerson, as you know, the faculty advisor for the NWCP is gone. The director of the multicultural office said that you do a lot to support black students. You know, we'd love to ask you to be our advisor to the NWCP. Can we meet with you to share about our organization? Now, mind you, I feel embarrassed to say this. I didn't really have an understanding of the NWCP. I wasn't involved with it growing up. I didn't even know they had college chapters. I just thought of Al Sharpton on TV. So I said, okay, come to my office, we'll meet. These two student leaders came, they were well-dressed. They had like resumes and their ideas. 
And what I found out was that they were freshmen and they saw that the NAACP was kind of dwindling. And they said, okay, as freshmen, we will be the president and vice president of this org. And they were just so on it. I was like, wow, these student leaders are on it. That was in 2019. These young ladies went on to just be the most phenomenal. These young ladies elevated me. They got involved, not with just the NAACP. They became SGA president of the whole school. They joined sororities themselves. They did research. They got jobs. They got internships. And they just took off. And the networking was that, like, just being good people, being in the area, being members of the community, our world are that small. And these are great ways that I encourage students, don't just become members of organizations, become student leaders, be presidents, treasurers, all those things, because that expands your network. There were so many insights packed in there. You know, first, think about the five Fs, the friends, the family, the foundational organizations, your fellow classmates and your faculty. I think the other thing I heard, and this is another F, but like find connections, you know, find those shared mm -hmm. connections among those folks. I also heard a, maybe a seventh F, which is first yeah. impression, because, yes. you know, you talked yes. about how the students showed up and how students can show up, you know, communication, presentation, and so forth. And that networking may come out of membership yes. in an organization. I think sometimes people think of networking as like, oh, I have to show up to this event where I don't know anyone. But like, mm -hmm. if you're joining a student organization, then you have some kind of activity. You have some kind of reason for mm -hmm. being together. And the idea that it, it comes down to, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And ultimately, those are the connections you're trying to build. That's really great advice. What advice would you offer to people that may not be as on it? You know, maybe there's students that are coming out of the pandemic and they're, yes. you know, a little bit anxious, feeling a little bit awkward, maybe even feeling a little bit behind in terms of, you know, flexing those networking muscles, what should they do to get started? Do it within your scales, do it within, you know, your bandwidth and do it within your comfort zone. So like, you know, like you said, right, not everyone is out there and just, you know, student leaders and, and, and confident. So I'd say like, let's lower the stigma that it has to be, you know, this grandiose, go out there and go to a whole room of strangers. It could literally be thinking of like, I'm going to just talk to my neighbor in class that I'm going to just sit in class and talk to the person next to me and build a relationship. And then maybe next class, I know a lot of people like to do the pattern where they sit in the same seat every single class, especially in college, but maybe it could be like, maybe next time I sit in a different seat and talk to a new person one-on-one. -on -one. I think that's a great way. Another way, you know, in scalability is after class is over with, I don't just pack up my stuff and, you know, run to the door. I'd stop and talk to the professor after class. That could be one small tangible way that you can do that. Because remember earlier we said faculty members, that could be a great way, you know, saying, Hey, I really enjoy your class today. I was thinking about this or, you know, visit their office hours, which I know is a hidden curriculum. A lot of people didn't know what office hours are. Office hours means that the professor is okay with people coming and stopping by and having intimate one-on-one -on -one conversations. So think about scalability, like networking doesn't have to be going into a large career fair. It doesn't have to be running for a student leadership position. It could be just going to that general body meeting and just sitting in that general body meeting and talking to your neighbor. That's the scale down way of waiting in line. I, I joke, I will talk to the person in front of me and back and I'll talk to anyone in the elevator. 
it's like you literally can say, how's your day going? And talking to someone on the elevator or in line, that's networking. We call it a very business thing, but asking questions, building conversations in spaces, you know, like that's why you're in person. That's why you're at, you know, an in-person college. If you are in person, if you're in a remote, completely remote college, as I said earlier, throw your name in the chat, maybe try to find and connect with other people in your class and send them a, a DM on Blackboard or whatever you can do to set up coffee or something like that or do Zoom. But it, scalability, I think that that would be the, the, the main thing I would say is do it at the bandwidth and capacity that you can. Do it in the comfort zone. Do it one-on-one rather than large groups. Do it in a, a style that's comfortable and not as intimidating. I think that can help you build that confidence, as you said, through building relationships. That's really great advice. I love the idea of starting small, you know, whether it's in line or in the elevator or your neighbor in class or your neighbor at an event, you know, where there are low stakes. It reminds me of one of the other tips in my book is really about advocating for yourself. One of the examples I love is there's this, you know, famous negotiator, Chris Boss, who wrote his book, Never Split the Difference. One of the things he talks about for negotiation is like, you have to practice putting yourself in situations where like people are going to say no. So you have to like, just practice asking for stuff, you know, an upgrade at a hotel or for an airline seat or whatever. So that it's like, when you hear no, it's not a big deal. And I feel like you're saying something similar where, you know, you put yourself in situations where it's low stakes with not a bunch of people. And then pretty soon you can walk into, you know, a bigger room of people you know, and work the room. I think one thing I always worry about too is like, you know, the little meme, like, did you die? But did you die? Like, ain't nothing like gonna happen. I used to talk about networking all the time. Like when you would send a LinkedIn request and I would work with students on how to reach out to do informational interviews. I say, you know, send a LinkedIn request instead of just hitting connect, add a little note, introduce yourself. But then I really bring it back to the bigger picture. It was like, what's the worst case scenario? They don't respond. I like, what happens with your day? Nothing. So you don't lose right. nothing, right? Like it's, it's yeah. how you eliminate the fear. What's the best case scenario? Oh, they actually respond to me and we have a conversation. So go at it with that. Like you said, low risk mindset. Like there's no risk. There's really no failure. But also advocating for yourself. Like you're not just blindly hitting connect. You're introducing yourself with a note. And I think one thing I always say that really helps with in-person engagement and be like Sherlock Holmes. And what I mean by that, like look at context clues. Like right now, I'm wearing a Mason shirt. I did it on purpose. You know, if I'm out at the grocery store, I literally already have a conversation getter. Oh, you go to Mason, you work at Mason. I say be hyper observant and look for context clues. You know, like if someone's wearing something, wearing an outfit, wearing paraphernalia of any sort or carrying something like my wife jokes, she's like, man, you, your attention to detail with stuff you don't like is, is trash, or, right? It's not good. But like you literally can talk to anyone because I've seen you walk up to people and start conversations based on something that you saw. Like, oh, you know, you go to Mason. And they might, might not be an answer. They're like, no, nah, this is my friend's shirt. Oh, tell me about your friend. You already have an end. Right. I feel like I can talk to anybody because I look at them and I find things to just bring up. And worst case scenario, they'll say, oh, you know, you could tell they don't want to talk to you. I don't lose any sleep. The world still revolves. You still have 365 days a year. They didn't spit on me. They didn't beat on me. They just didn't want to talk to me. And I, it's okay. Like I lost no sleep, but on the positive, the, there's a low risk, but there's a high reward. Like we're one opportunity or from our big break or something like that. But I was like, maybe we're one relationship from that too. You know, like maybe 
that one conversation I had with the elevator is the person that's going to change my life. I didn't know it. One conversation away from that. So I've come with yeah. that mindset that the risk is really low, but the reward can be very high. So that's yeah. my mindset. I love that, you know, one conversation away from your big break. And I'll say like that actually happened to me. The biggest project I ever won happened because I was meeting somebody for coffee and the person she was meeting before, you know, was kind of like getting up for the table and we had maybe like two minutes of time to fill while she was paying the bill and he was leaving, you know, and we ended up talking about libraries and how a lot of what we do at Bright Spot is planning next generation libraries and turns out he had a project in mind. So you really are like one conversation away from your big break. Final question. I love the kind of like looking for context clues as a tip. What about like favorite questions to ask? So like break the ice. Yeah. So there's this book called like 92 tips on how to talk to anybody. That's one. And then also the age old book, how oh, to that. make friends and influence people. I mean, yeah. both of those books are awesome. You know, I, I open them up. Sometimes I just read a random chapter about it. You know, like he has these weird saying, it's like, you know, you get honey from not beating a bee. I don't know. All these like cool sayings, right? But one of the things I always realized is have every conversation with authenticity and intention. Like I'm going to be my authentic self. I'm going to share, you know, get to know people as they are. That's authenticity and intention. Meaning like this conversation, there is an impact. We're having a conversation right now for your podcast. There's an intention to that. I'm meeting this person in the elevator, but the intention is to get to know them. So I have like some form of mental agenda for every conversation right. I have, but not like overtly, like I stick to the script, but there's an intentionality to it, right? There's a purpose to this conversation. We always tell students when you're coming to things, you don't have to have it written down on a piece of paper, but you know, have a checklist of questions you want to ask. I think the questions that I would say is questions that invoke active listening as the response. So people love to talk about themselves. People love to share their stories. Asking questions about people is always great. Never ask directly for a favor, right? That does not open a door, right? Like, hi, can you do something for me? No, that doesn't. That's not good questions to ask. More like, hi, you know, are you from this area? Are you new? You know, what do you like about this class? Like just questions. And then my thought is the flip side is being very active and listening to their responses rather right. than being able to you know, what you're going to say. Have a response. Yeah. Sure. My thing is I always joke too. When I meet people professionally, I don't ask about their job first. I'd be like, did you grow up in the area? You can even be like so observant about this thing. Like, let's say you meet in meeting at Starbucks, right? You're like, man, this line is long, right? Like you can talk about what you both observe in that situation. Right. right? You're something at a conference, like it's something in common. Like, wow, what do you think about that keynote speaker that we both listen to? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, just asking questions, open-ended questions that lead to conversation, not just a yes, no answer. And really trying to get to know people. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Do you know anyone else here? I'd be asking all kinds of random questions. And I'd just be thinking about what comes in my mind. But I want to get to know people. And then here's the main thing about that. If you're going to ask open-ended questions and actively listen to it, really, really try your hardest to remember it. That really impresses everyone in networking. Like the amount of times where I joke my to-do list, memory, my wife was like, you don't remember anything I told you to do. But you remember who you sat next to in the ninth grade, that their favorite color is pink or something like I, I just random stuff, but really attach it. One of the great stories I've learned 
I don't know whether you have a positive feeling about Bill Clinton or not, was that he had index cards. Don't have to be all this extra, but he had index cards about people. He made like a personal dossier about people. Mm -hmm. And he had the uncanny ability to pick up a conversation where he left off with people years later. You like, you'd run into someone at a foundation at a golf tournament. It's like, yo, how's your grandma doing? You told me about 10 years ago. Really impressed when you remember things that you talked about. So right. I really try to remember things. That's what helps me is those context clues, like, you know, their name, where they, where we met. I try to remember where we met, what context we met. I try to remember, you know, if they said anything, particularly about their family. I try to remember if they have kids or not. I try to remember those things. I'm not gonna remember exactly their names or not, but like just real hardcore things to remember. So that when I follow up with them, they're really impressed. And I, I found That's that great. to be a really, really good, good technique for your questions. So have your questions. Don't ask for favors. Ask for curiosity. Ask for authenticity. Ask for intentionality. And remember and listen actively. I think you, you won't go wrong. Great advice, Philip. Thank you so much for your time and insights today. Well, thank you so much. I think what you're doing is great. You know, I think, you know, the learning about college is not just in the classroom, but outside the the classroom. I love that you're talking about topics that are beyond the curriculum. There is a like a hidden curriculum, but there's also like not a secret curriculum, but there's something that when you go to college for four years, you're learning not just things to like build a skill or a, a discipline, but you're learning things that should transfer to your life afterwards, like how to make friends. You learn a lot of that in college, how to build a network in college, how to find a mentor. There's these life things that you should be learning in college too, not just your A to B research papers. So thank you for this. I think this is a great platform to talk about that. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out elliotfelix.com for all the episodes and the articles I've written, talks I've given, and more information about the book. 